0: Parshas Tzvayigash, the result of a good deed. Sponsored by Rabbi Leon Sakal, in honor of Rabbi Ben Sionke. Sponsor an episode for just $100 by calling 732-844-3670. In this week's Sedra, we read about how Yosef revealed himself to his brothers and then sent them back to Eretz Canaan with a message to his father asking him to come down to Egypt in order to be safe during the famine that was plaguing the land. Take your father and your household and come down to Mitzrayim and I will support you with food and all good things. And that's what happened. Yaakov said, I will go down to see my son before I die. And then finally, after weeks of traveling, Yaakov and his family were approaching the land of Egypt. Now, the Torah states that when Yosef was informed that his father's caravan had arrived in Mitzrayim, so Yosef harnessed his chariot and he rode out to greet his father. Bracious. it means that he left the palace, took horses from the stable harnessed them to his coach, and he headed out to fulfill the mitzvah of honoring his father. Now the sages point out that what happened on that day was quite unusual. Yosef, after all, was the Mishnah Lamelech, the second in command of Egypt, and he had servants a plenty at his beck and call, who did every chore for him. He could have called his right-hand servant and given the order, Prepare my chariot. And the word would have quickly come down to the servant in charge of the stable, who would have harnessed the Mishnah Lamelech's chariot. It would have been done immediately. That's how it was done always. And this day should have been no different. And so you understand how strange it must have been in the eyes of Yosef's servants when they saw him running into the stable in his royal garments and his crown. There's no question that they looked askance at the lord of the house, opening the stable door with his own hands and harnessing the horses to the chariot. The servants were looking on. They wanted to do their job, but Yosef brushed them off. Never mind, he said, I'll do it by myself. They must have shrugged their shoulders or raised their eyebrows. But what could they do already? Their boss didn't let. So why did he harness his carriage with his own hands? That's the question our sages ask. And they explain in Breshis that at the time Yosef forgot himself, he forgot propriety. Yosef's great love for the mitzvah of greeting his father caused him to forget the correct procedure. He was so happy at the opportunity to honor his father, especially after so many years when he had been deprived of this mitzvah, That now, when it finally presented itself to him, he couldn't contain his enthusiasm. And so, he hurried out of the palace, unlocked the stable door himself, took out the horses, harnessed them to his coach, and rode out to greet his long-lost father. Now we'll fast forward 210 years. We are now... More than two centuries after the incident and the Bnei Yisrael are finally leaving Mitzrayim. After suffering so many makos, Paro finally yielded and set them free. And now they were marching away from Egypt towards Eretz Canaan. And yet, as soon as he did that, he regretted it. What is this we have done, said Paro? We just sent out such a multitude from serving us, Shemos. When he came to his senses and realized that he had just lost a tremendous workforce that was laboring on his behalf day and night for nothing, he immediately had second thoughts. He was foaming with rage. It's preposterous what I just did to let that scum go free and also take our money with them. So many slaves, so much wealth. What did I do that I sent them out? Did I go mad? At that moment, Pato was overcome with such anger that he decided to bring them back. He was so eager to recoup his loss that he ran out of the palace. The enemy said, I'm going to pursue. I'll overtake them. I will draw my sword. He was picturing himself speeding in his chariot, chasing his escaped slaves. He was already imagining that he'll draw some blood from them and then, whichever ones remain, he'll drive them back into slavery. And so he took his army and began to chase the royal. Now we all know the outcome. We know how Paro suffered in ignominious defeat. Tubu bi'amsuf, they were drowned in the sea. Ummivchal Shalishav, the best of his officers, were drowned, and all of their equipment went under. The mighty force was laid low, and after that, Egypt didn't raise its head for many years. The Am Yisrael was saved in such a spectacular way that we don't hear anything about Egypt for hundreds of years after that. Now, our sages understood the principle that everything Hashem does has some reason, and therefore they wanted to find what zghus, what merit it was, that the B'nai Yisrael had to be saved like that. They were in grave danger after all. They were caught between a large Egyptian army and the sea. And a great miracle was necessary to save them. What was it that helped the Am Yisrael at this perilous moment? And so, the Chachamim studied the words of the Torah to find the answer. After all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu always gives clues. He writes things in the Torah in particular ways so that capable people can study certain events and see why they happened. It's not for amateurs. But the Chachamim, the Tanaim, and the Amoraim were specialists. And they were capable of studying the events of Tanakh and looked for hints to understand why things happened in a certain way. And so these sages began to look for something in our past that would give a hint to what gave our people the merit that Paro should have such a downfall. Maybe there's some place we can find the remes and tie one thing to another. And Yagata Matsata, If you search, then you will find. And so when our sages searched, they found, when Paro's heart smote him and he decided to lead his army into the chase after the Bnei Israel, something remarkable happened. The king of Egypt ran to the stables, opened up the door, pulled out his horses, and he harnessed them to the chariot himself. His servants surely ran to do it for him, but Pato waved them aside, and his servants looked on in amazement. This was the first time in their lives they saw such a thing. A monarch should go out and pull the horses out of his stable and harness them himself. I don't know if a paro ever harnessed a chariot in the history of all of the paros. It's remarkable. But that's what the pasuk says. V'yesor et richbo. And he harnessed his own chariot. Shmos. Ooh, those are familiar words. By Yosef also we saw these words like that. V'yesor Yosef merkavto. Yosef harnessed his own chariot. And because the language of the Torah is always measured with precision, our sages understood that there is something here. That's the principle behind Gezerah Shavah. When you find an expression in one place and a similar expression in another place, it's a hint that there is a connection there. And so because the Chachamim learned toida with a magnifying glass, because they inspected every ois, So when they came across these two parallel expressions and Yosef harnessed his chariot and Pado harnessed his chariot, they understood that it wasn't in vain that the Torah inscribed these two parallel sentences with the same terminology. And so, here's what the Chachamim said about this subject. Tavo she asar Yosef atzavik. Let come the harnessing that Yosef Asadik did on his own because of his eagerness to greet his father. Al Yad Shaasar Poro and it should have overcome the efforts of Poro, who harnessed his chariot in order to overtake the Bene Israel and avenge himself on them. Our sages are telling us that the parallel expressions teach us that Yosef's mitzvah had something to do with preventing Paro from carrying out his wishes. The mitzvah had such an effect that it saved the Am Yisrael. Now we have to know that the story with Paro occurred 210 years after Yosef's act of harnessing his own chariot. Yosef was already long dead. And probably nobody remembered anything of this episode. They knew that Yaakov Avinu had come to Egypt and Yosef had come out to greet him. But it's probable that nobody remembered that detail of how Yosef had harnessed the horses himself. It could be they never even knew about it. We only know because we have it in the Torah. And even if they did once know, it was probably long forgotten. 210 years is a long time after all who remembers a little and seemingly unimportant detail of a story that happened to his great great grandfather 200 years ago i'll tell you who remembers such a detail college baruch who remembers he remembers everything that's what it means Let the harnessing that Yosef did himself come forward and it should overcome the efforts of Pado, who harnessed his chariot himself. When Yosef went out to the royal stable to harness his horses, it wasn't an act that stopped when he climbed onto his chariot. The act never died out. It was hovering, so to speak, in the air. It was hovering and waiting. Years passed. 210 years. Yosef passed away. And then, Vayakab Melech Chodosh, a new king came to power. And then, there was the Shibud, the years of slavery. And then, finally, the Makkos came, and the Amisroel left Mitzrayim. All those 210 years, the Mitzvah was hovering in the air. And then, finally, the day came when Paro was harnessing his chariot to chase the Amisroel. What happened then? Yosef's deed came and pounced upon Paro's deed and wiped it out. Yosef's harnessing overpowered Paro's harnessing. It destroyed its effect and it frustrated the plan of Paro. What we have here is an example from the Torah of a mitzvah accomplishing forever and ever. Of a mitzvah that continues to work for the people who achieve them. Mitzvahs continue to afford us the greatest happiness because once something is done, it is forever. It might help you one day. It might even help the entire nation 200 years from now. You never know what it might do because it's there. It doesn't go away. Every mitzvah you do is alive forever. Forever. We're learning now that when Yosef Atzadik at harnessed the horses to go to greet his father, it had a special koach, a special ability to exert influence 210 years later, because it was what we call a mitzvah. Let's say your father lives out of town and you've settled here in Brooklyn. If you know your father is coming to visit you, so you're not merely going to wait at home until he knocks on the door. That's Americanis, it's minhag America. But al toida and Alpi pi too. By the way, if your father and mother are coming, it's proper to go to the airport and to the railroad station to meet them. This should be considered superfluous to be said. But today, it has to be mentioned. And so we understand that when Yosef Atzadik at went out to greet his father, he was doing what any good Jew would have done. It was a mitzvah but we're learning something new. We think a mitzvah is something like a job well done. We did it, and we'll be paid off in the next world, and finished. Of course, that's also valuable. It's written down in permanent ink on the credit side, and it's your property forever and ever. But we're learning now that a mitzvah is much more than just a written record. A mitzvah is a living creature. Pay attention now. I didn't say a creation, I said creature. Rabbi Yehuda Halevi in his Kuzari tells us that a mitzvah is an actual living entity. Of course, it doesn't live like we live. It doesn't have to be fed or be bathed. But it's a living thing, something that has its own type of existence. If you want an analogy, you can call it a malach. Now don't be frightened by the name malach. It doesn't have to be somebody with wings. The wings are just a form of vision that is granted to us so that we should be impressed by the malachim. But a malach is higher than wings. It's something of ruchnius that is of such tremendous power that it doesn't need any wings to propel it. It's much more powerful than a winged creature. That's only a le saber es ha'ozen, to make it easier for us to understand and feel what a malach is. But whatever exactly a malach is, a mitzvah creates an entity that's going to remain forever. When you put on tefillin, when you nail a mezuzah to your door, when you say birkas hamazon after eating, when you give a penny to a poor man for tzedakah, when you say Shema israel, when you mention yisias Mitzrayim, when you think Hashem Echad, or any of the other mitzvahs of the duties of the mind, when you fulfill any one of them, you are creating an eternal creature, something that will exist forever. And not only it exists, but it continues to exert an influence. A mitzvah, the Kuzari says, is exactly like creating a child. Now the Kuzari, you have to know, is a rishon. He doesn't go into fantasies. He is practical, And his every word is counted. And he says that when you do a mitzvah, you are creating a living thing no different than the creation of a child. How is a child, a baby, created? There are hundreds of thousands of conditions which must be fulfilled in order that a child should be born. Conditions in both parents and conditions in the manner of birth. A living thing is so complex that it requires countless factors, and each one must be present to bring life into existence. Each one must be there. If one is absent, there will be no baby. Now the Kuzari tells us that a mitzvah is exactly the same. Ela told us Noach. Noach. These are the children of Noach. Noach. What does that mean? So the medrash says, "Told usayem shel ma sayem." The mitzvahs that a man does are his true children. Who was Noah's most important child? Himself. What he accomplished in his service of Hashem was his most important creation in this world. And just like a child comes into existence only because certain conditions are fulfilled, a mitzvah is no different. That's on the authority of the Kuzari. He says that because a mitzvah is something that's alive. Therefore, it can be created only in certain ways. It won't come into being unless all of the conditions are satisfied. That's why he says, if you do a mitzvah, you must be diligent. You have to care about the details, the exact specifications. Some people, they complain about that. Why are you so concerned about the little details? Why are you splitting hairs? The answer is because we're creating living entities no less than children. If only some of the details go wrong in the creation of a human being. The results are catastrophic. You see on the street sometimes a child without fingers or a young boy in a wheelchair who can't move. He needs someone to wipe the drool from his lips. That's the result of little details in the cells, in the chromosomes that went wrong. And the details of a mitzvah are no less crucial than the details of a cell. That's why when you put up a mezuzah and by carelessness you drive a nail through one of the letters, now there's a hole. So it's worthless now. If you hang it up on the doorpost, you didn't do anything. There's nothing you can do except to put it in Sheamus or Tefillin. Let's say you spend good money on your Tefillin and they are square and black and you have ritzes formed of kosher leather. And the parshias are written on kosher parchment. In every respect you have fulfilled all of the requirements. But if one of the parshias, even one letter, is written incorrectly, then the entire tefillin is non-existent. Let's say the Kutsu Shalyad, the bottom point of the Yud, is missing. So the entire tefillin is puzzle. It's meaningless. It's like putting a sugar cube on your arm. If a man wore such tefillin all his life, he never missed one day. So he's called a Karkafta, de low Manach tefillin. He's considered a man who never put tefillin on his head his whole life. That's a very extreme statement. Because we know he did put on tefillin every day. And he wanted to put on tefillin. And the tefillin were there. The black boxes were there. The ritzuos, the straps were there. Even the parshish were there. Except that on one letter, on the yud, on the left-hand bottom side, the kutz was missing. That's all. So to the untutored Jew, it seems queer. Superfluous. What difference does it make? Most of the letters are here. Why don't you say that he gets the majority of the mitzvah? At least that. After all, that one letter is only a fraction of the mitzvah, so he should get a great majority of that mitzvah. The answer is, when a child has to be born and one of the essential conditions is not fulfilled, you don't get a majority of a child the whole thing doesn't materialize because living things are different. Living things require the fulfillment of all of the conditions. Otherwise, they're just not created. And because a mitzvah is no less of a living thing, no less of a living entity than a child, it must be done according to all the prescriptions, the full prescription. And if even one of the essential conditions is lacking, the mitzvah, does not exist. If somebody will take the four minim on Sukkot, and instead of an Esrog, he'll take a lemon. So he's not fulfilling the mitzvah at all. It's nothing at all. And yet, once you are successful at creating that living entity, it's there forever. It continues to exist, just like Yosef's mitzvah continued to live, and it exerts influence. Actually, we have a clear-cut statement that tells us that. When you do a mitzvah, you acquire for yourself an advocate, a defender, Pirkei That means the mitzvah speaks up for the doer. But from the story of Yosef Atzadik, we're learning the stunning principle that this creature is so powerful that it has the ability to save you, not only in the next world, but in this world too. If you have mitzvahs, then Malachov <speaking in Hebrew> Yitzavilach, Hashem will command His angels concerning you, the <speaking in Hebrew> to guard you and all of your paths. Tehillim, in Tehillim twenty, it states, Yanhah Hashem Byom Hashem is going to answer you in a day of distress. Everybody has a day when he needs help. We need help always, but sometimes you need extra help. And we're learning now that the mitzvahs that you've done can save you. He's going to answer you on the day of distress. He'll remember all of your offerings. And the fact of your burnt offerings, he's going to consider. It means that he'll remember your mitzvahs. When you're in an ace tzara. You know, when you're lying chas on the operating table. So you need help. Who doesn't have an operation sometime in his life? And there's always going to be a question about the surgeon's knife. The surgeon has to do a very delicate procedure. He has to make detours around certain nerves and certain blood vessels. It's very delicate business. That's why you don't give it to an ordinary butcher to the local butcher to do it for you. You pay good money for somebody who thinks he's an expert. Now, when the surgeon is beginning to cut, you know a lot of things could happen. His hand might slip just a little bit. Afterwards, they won't tell the family anything, of course. They'll just say that the patient died on the operating table. That's what they say when the surgeon's hand slips. Or maybe the surgeon might sneeze. What would happen if he sneezes? You're finished. What happens? Just at the moment when the doctor feels he's about to sneeze, a council is hastily convened in Shammayim. The Beis in Shalmala gathers, and they're saying the surgeon is about to sneeze, or his hand is about to slip. What should we do? That's the question. It's an ace, tzara. Will this poor fellow be saved? Another case. Here's a man who was rushing across Ocean Parkway. He looked to both sides. He saw nothing. But there are blind spots. Everybody knows there's a blind spot. And just at that blind spot, there was a speeding reckless car bearing down on him. A few tons of metal are now hurling towards against him. And before he even knows it, poof. So quickly they convene An emergency meeting And based in Shemala A quick decision has to be made What's going to happen? Will the car stop? Will the surgeon sneeze? Will his hand slip? Suddenly Something happens in Shemayim That mitzvah That you once did That living being you created Stands up to defend you And you are saved HaKadosh Baruch Hu says This man has this mitzvah that he fulfilled to perfection with all of its details. And the sneeze doesn't come. The surgeon hand doesn't slip. The car makes a short stop. Or maybe you notice it at the last second and you quickly jump back onto the curb. And so, when we were standing at the Red Sea, by all accounts, we should have been finished off. We were a weak people without weapons not schooled in the ways of war. And here is the most powerful army in the world. Hurling towards us at full speed. The Egyptians were wild with enthusiasm. Pado was so drunk with bloodlust. That he had harnessed his chariot himself. At this point an angel spoke up. Wasn't Yosef also a leader of Egypt? Didn't he also get so enthusiastic about your will, Hashem, that he did the same thing and harnessed his own chariot? Oh, Hashem said, yes, yes, now is the time to strike down the actions of Paro. His efforts to destroy my people will have no effect because Yosef's act outweighs all of that military might. And so, We understand now that when Yosef HaTzadik went out to greet his father, he was creating an entity that was capable of being a defender, of being a praklit. But there's still a question here, because that a mitzvah should have the koach to save an entire nation, and that it should hover for 210 years, waiting for the opportunity to effect that salvation. That is something extraordinary. Every mitzvah is a praklit. But what was it about Yosef's mitzvah of going out to greet his father that was so powerful? It's a question that deserves an answer. So we look a little closer at the words the Chachamim used when they described this event. Listen to their expression. Let come the harnessing of Yosef Atzadik, His act of harnessing his own horses and it should overcome Paro's harnessing of his horses. It doesn't just say that because he went out to greet his father, so that mitzvah later frustrated Pado. No! It says, Tavo Asoro, let the harnessing that Yosef did, the fact that he drew out the horses and harnessed them with his own hands to the royal chariot, let that come to frustrate the harnessing of Pado. Yosef was too enthusiastic about the mitzvah to delegate it to someone else like they tell about the Chafetz Chaim Zichrona Levracha. A visitor once said that he came to him to sleep in his house and the Chafetz Chaim ran to take out the bedding and he was making the bed for him. So the visitor protested, Rebbe, he said, let me do it myself. But the Chafetz Chaim said, such a mitzvah I'll give away to someone else. I want it for myself. He was excited, enthusiastic. He was like a young man. He didn't want any help. That's what Yosef did. When he ran out of his palace, his lackeys were running after him and they were yelling, Master, wait, wait! But he was too enthusiastic to hear them. And even if he heard them, in his great enthusiasm, he ignored them. And it was that addition to the mitzvah that gave it a different kind of effectiveness. This simchashel mitzvah that accompanies a mitzvah makes it an entirely different kind of creature. It became more potent because of that enthusiasm. So much so that that mitzvah was able to accomplish the great miracle when Paro's army was drowned in the Yamsuf. What would have happened had Yosef not run out of the palace to harness the horses with his own hands? We'll never know. It could have happened that Pado would have had some effect. Pado could have attacked the Bnei royal. Could be HaKadosh Baroku would have saved them. But maybe Pado might have attacked and afflicted some harm. He might have done like Amalek and cut off the stragglers. Maybe even worse. But whatever could have been, it didn't happen. Because of that powerful mitzvah that Yosef created with his enthusiasm, Paro didn't do anything except cause his entire army to drown in the sea. The great victory was effected for the Bnei Yisrael because of the act of enthusiasm which one man performed when he harnessed his own chariot to go to meet his father Yaakov. We're learning now the importance of simchashel mitzvah, of doing mitzvahs with enthusiasm. Of course, if a person is enthusiastic about other things, let's say people get together and they sing and they dance and they clap their hands for nothing. That's not what we're talking about now. If a man at the base gives a whack with the bat and everybody goes crazy, woo, everybody is stamping their feet and your blood is ignited with excitement. That may be simcha, but it's not simcha, Shell mitzvah. It's a complete waste of excitement. But if you're doing a mitzvah and you add some enthusiasm, it's not merely a small addition. It's immensely valuable. We think the main thing is the mitzvah, and the enthusiasm is like a little bit of polish, a little bit of gloss on it. That's an error. The enthusiasm is in itself a very... Big achievement. It is itself a very big achievement. In fact, it's bigger than the entire mitzvah itself. It lifts up the mitzvah a thousandfold. And so, we come to the subject of bargains. When you're doing a mitzvah, it could take some effort to get yourself up and going to go someplace or to spend some money to do some labor. But once you do it, you think, that the mitzvah is already done and finished. We think that's the most important that's required of us. And yet here's where we make a great error. Because there's something that's very easy to do that would change the entire nature of what you're doing. And that is adding a little bit of enthusiasm to it. You're doing it anyhow. So invest a little simcha into it. That's what you're learning tonight. And it's a very important lesson. Let's say you're giving a dollar to a poor man. Imagine a Williamsburger man comes to your door, a chassid, and he has a lot of little children. He's working in a Thai factory all day long. It's hard work and it doesn't pay that much. So at night he goes around trying to collect a little more because it costs a lot of money to pay tuition for 13 children. He's not collecting for luxuries or for saving up. He's collecting money for Sechar Limud. So he comes, let's say, into your synagogue or into your home. And you're willing to give him something. You give him $1 or $5, whatever you give. Now it costs you money anyhow. If you would add a little bit of Sibcha to that deed, it becomes not only $5. It becomes much more valuable. Now, of course, don't think that you could give less and do more simcha and you'll save a little money. You're not Yitse with simcha. He can't cash it at the grocer. Your enthusiasm won't help him pay his schar limud. But the subject tonight is that if after you decided to give the money, it's going to cost you $5 anyhow. So now, if you'll generate some simcha, If you add some enthusiasm to that money, it makes it expand into much more than $5. It leaps up and becomes vigorous. The entire act is transformed. What about being enthusiastic about Shabbos? Isn't that a new idea? To be happy that Shabbos is coming? Many Jews live their whole lives with loyalty. They dutifully fulfill Shabbos. And yet when Shabbos is over, they are somewhat relieved. They're sitting after Shal Shuddis, looking at the clock and waiting for it to reach the moment when it will be Os Shabbos. Isn't that a pity? We are praised as a nation that delays the time to go out of the Shabbos. And we're in a hurry that it should come in. And that's a very important praise. Don't think it's just one little facet of the mitzvah. It's actually much bigger than the mitzvah itself. So here's the lady. Chalas, she baked already. Or maybe she bought them. She already has chicken and fish and meat. She already prepared the chulet and all the good things of Shabbos. And now she's lighting the candles. She's lighting anyhow. So just before she lights the candles, she remembers she once heard this idea. So she stops for a few seconds and tries to create a Simcha shel Mitzvah that she should be happy, excited about the mitzvah of bringing in the Holy Shabbos. It's a wonderful idea. You should try it. Now the question is, where do you go to get Simcha shel Mitzvah? Does it mean you have to order it from the Kedem Wine Company. You have to go to the liquor store on the corner. No, it's right in here. You have within you a very deep fountain of Simcha and all you have to do is lower a bucket and start pulling it up. If you can learn to generate happiness, you're doing something extraordinary. Of course, it needs some effort, but it doesn't cost money. It costs no money to generate enthusiasm. What's the simplest way to create a Simcha Shel Mitzvah? Invest a little bit of energy and think how lucky you are to be able to fulfill the Mitzvah and thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he gave you this opportunity. You are from the fortunate ones who was commanded to fulfill the command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a statement in the Gemara Bavakama that surprises many people. Gadol HaMitzuve veOise. A person who does something because he's commanded by Hashem to do it is greater than the one who does things voluntarily. Again, a man who does things voluntarily is not as great as a man who does things that is commanded by the Torah to do it. That puzzles many people because we think that to volunteer of your own accord to do something seems a much greater madrega. But we're learning now that it's much greater when you're commanded because that means that you have been chosen. You've been chosen by our Baruch Hu to serve him. That's why when we do a mitzvah, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem. We thank you Hashem. You made us holy with your mitzvahs, a mitzvah. Changes you. A mitzvah makes you kadosh. Why? What is it in a mitzvah that makes you holy? Because vitzivanu, He commanded us. I'm doing what you, hakadosh baruchu, commanded me. A mitzvah elevates you. You become a new person. You're everlastingly different as a result of that mitzvah. V'asitem et kol mitzvotai v'hitem kidoshim. You do my mitzvot and you become kadosh. You become holy. Holy! That's some achievement to become holy. You should think about that before you do a mitzvah. How fortunate I am that I can do a mitzvah. You have to think. Baruch ata. I thank you, Hashem. I am full of gratitude to you. That you made us holy by means of these commandments. That I have this privilege. So when a man or a boy steals a few minutes to open up a Gemara and he reviews a few lines or when a little girl has an opportunity to honor her mother instead of saying, Ma, give me a glass of water. You get up and bring her a glass of water. So you're becoming holy by means of that. There's nothing better in the world. Even if you're not making a bracha right now, you don't make a bracha for every mitzvah. Still, you should think these words. I am becoming Kaddish by means of these few minutes of learning Taida, by means of bringing my mother a glass of water. Think these words. You're making us Kaddush. And we thank you for the mitzvahs. Vitzivanu, Vitzivanu, Vitzivanu. We are so happy that you Hashem have commanded us. You should be thanking Hashem always for the opportunity to do mitzvahs. Not only a mitzvah do even a mitzvah de'rabanan. If you wash your hands for the su'uda, it's a takana chachamim, to wash your hands before you eat bread. So you are becoming kadosh. What a privilege! And you get ready to wipe your hands and you're making the bracha think How lucky I am that I have this mitzvah of washing my hands for the soda. Now some people, when they are in a hurry, so they say, I'll eat a small piece of cake. That way, I won't have to wash. Now if he's in a big hurry, he wants to go to something urgent, like learning Torah, all right. But otherwise he should know that he's losing a grand opportunity. He's losing an opportunity to gain a very great Kedusha of washing his hands. He should be medactic in all the halachas, which means he is becoming a kaddush Each time he becomes more and more kaddush. And therefore, that thought alone should be the greatest stimulus to doing every mitzvah with happiness. And that enthusiasm, That simcha transforms the act. It's not only a little bit bigger of a mitzvah. It's suddenly transformed from whatever it is into something that's a new kind of entity. It's big, it's enormous, and it's vigorous, and it's going to have an effect. And that's why we have to understand that mitzvahs are our great opportunity in this world. All of you are doing mitzvahs all the time. You people here are all pious Jews. You are all observant men and women. And you're doing everything anyhow. Isn't it a pity that you're losing out when it's so easy and it doesn't cost anything to add some simcha, some enthusiasm to your deeds? It doesn't cost you an extra penny and you'll be getting so much more for your money? Whatever money or time or effort that it's going to cost you to do a mitzvah, if you'll put some simchas mitzvah into it, it now becomes worth an enormous amount more. And therefore, when you're doing a mitzvah, you have to remember that much of its perfection comes down to the matter of enthusiasm. You can do mitzvahs without being enthusiastic, but it just doesn't pay the same. When you add simcha to the mitzvah, it makes all the difference in the world. And Akadash Baruch Hu takes that into account much more than the mitzvah itself. And if you'll keep this in mind, if you'll always remember how fortunate you are to be a mitzuvah v'ayseh, it becomes easy to generate enthusiasm. Sometimes you can even generate a lot of enthusiasm. And that's going to transform your act and magnify it a thousandfold the same way that Yosef's mitzvah was magnified a thousand times over in this world and saved the Am Yisrael from Pado, your deeds too will be magnified in this world and forever and ever in the world to come. Have a wonderful Shabbos.